Good? Oh, good. Well, we want to thank you again for being here. I'm going to add my own word of welcome to you. If you haven't been welcome, it's good to see you. It's nice to see familiar faces, by the way. So, so thank you for your year-by-year -year participation. So I'm going to speak to you from the Bible for just a few minutes, and I'm going to go ahead and thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to thank you for your attention ahead of time. So why don't we do this? Let's pray because we want God's blessing and help, and we'll do that. And then I'm going to read from the text, and on your table, there is a survey, but behind the survey, that's the verse that I'm going to be speaking from, and that's really, really important, especially in the beginning. So if you could just grab that, and let's bow together and pray. Father, please have mercy on us as you teach us from this text tonight and speak with your voice which wakes up the dead and makes all of us hear you and show us who you really are and show us who we really are in light of you and please help me. I, I know that I'm nothing without you and nothing good will come if you don't have mercy on me and I ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, to the text. Now, I don't normally stop in the beginning, but the opening verse needs a little bit of explanation. Verse 9 of Luke 18. So this is a parable Jesus told. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. So can we just take a minute and as you think about everybody else, look, looking down on everybody else, I wrote in my Bible all the different types of, of uh, people that we tend to label now, and I don't like labels, but they're there. So this particular person um, that looks down on everybody else, and these are all the other everybody else's, the rich, the poor, the destitute, the LGBTQT person, the black person, the Indian, the lazy, the intellectual, the anti-intellectual, the super fun person, the super serious person, the introvert, the extrovert, the male, the female, the Muslim, the liberal, the conservative. So just to get a flavor to some who were self-confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. To the text, please. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, this is so important. In the Bible, in fact, this is fundamental. In the Bible, the righteous person is not the person who has never sinned is not the person who's done a whole load of good deeds, is not the person who is very committed to living a good life. Rather, in the Bible, the righteous person is the self-aware the self-aware sinner who's cried out to God for mercy and in that whom God has graciously declared forgiven and who God has graciously declared righteous through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
which saves people from their sin and the judgment which is coming. That, that is basic Christianity. That's fundamental. So a conversion, which is part of what I'm aiming for here, takes place when a person is just brutally honest about their sinfulness, and they realize they have no hope at all other than to cast themselves on the mercy of God and do that as a way of life. Because the nearer, pers- the nearer a person gets to God, the greater they see their sin. So you see there in verse 13, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And then that person leaves justified before God. And the parable that Jesus teaches is just bursting with that truth. So as a church, we've been learning Sunday by Sunday from the book of Romans. We're only on chapter 3, but when we get to chapter 4, verse 5, listen to what it says. It says, to the person who does works, that's like religious performance, but trust God who justifies the wicked, their faith is credited as righteousness. Let me read it again. To the one who does not work, excuse me, but believes in him, Christ, the one who bore our sin in his body on the cross, he justifies the wicked. Now, I hope you're hearing that. God counts righteous a wicked person. So, that would be something like, you owe somebody $10,000, and they give you $10,000. So, if we're honest about our sin, and I I hate to label them, but, you know, lies and lust and judging and, and hate and greed and gossip, we don't worship God as God. If we're honest about that, then discover a God who justifies the wicked, that's good news. And that's the gospel. And loved ones, that's the God of the Bible. That is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And perhaps, and I hope, God brought you here tonight to hear this and leave here, if not already, a child of God. Because the parable, and a parable is a literary device which teaches spiritual truth that Jesus wants people to know, tells us that salvation or conversion or being right with God, whatever you want to call it, is a gift for the guilty. It's not a reward for the righteous. Heaven will be filled not with good people, but bad people who have cried out for mercy and God gave it to them. And this parable, and this is important, this parable is like the storyline of the entire Bible. You can't read your Bible right without seeing this again and again. Now you see there, we read, there are two men. Both wanted something from God, which is why both pray and why both go to the temple to pray. Because at that time, you went to the temple to find relationship with God in ancient Israel. So that's where you made contact with God. And these two men were on, or far, far away from each other. In one, uh, the beginning, the, the Pharisee, you had a very clean, neat, smart, conservative, probably wore a sweater, suburban type. <laughs> and the other, you had kind of like a downtown on the east side guy. And the point being is, okay, which one are we and which one would you like to be? So you put yourself in the story, your true self. So the first man, the Pharisee, they were called the separated ones. And they always thought that we're getting right in terms of relating to God everything. Everyone else, wrong. Every, everybody else, wrong. But we are right. And they were confident in themselves. That's what the Bible calls self-righteous. So they don't really need forgiveness. And they were serious. And they were meticulous in their obedience. And when it came to religion, they played for keeps. And on the other end of that stick is this tax collector. And the tax collector is an agent of the Roman Empire. And he collected taxes for Rome from his fellow Jews. 
And he had a quota to meet. And once he met the quota, he could take as much money as he wanted from the, his fellow Jews because who could stop him? So the Jews hated tax collectors for this reason because these guys ripped people off. He is wicked. And Jesus' listeners, they would know that. And so they both go to the temple to pray. They're both looking for something but God. But Jesus is clear. Only one of them really prays and only one of them will go home right with God because only one of them will admit they're guilty. Now I want you to think about guilt for a minute because guilt is not a terrible thing. Oxford English Dictionary defines guilt as this. As the unhappy state of mind caused by knowing that you have done something wrong. That's guilt. The fact of culpability. So this is not false guilt. guilt. We can deal with that. But this is the wrongs we have done which are rightly on our conscience. So I don't know if you've ever seen the film The Talented Mr. Ripley. There's an important moment in the movie. So Matt Damon, he's playing Tom Ripley. He confesses to his girlfriend this. Don't you just take the, don't you just take the past and put it in a room Lock the door and never go there. That's what I do. And when you meet someone special and all you want to do is toss them the key and say, open up, step inside of my room. And I keep wanting to do that. Fling the door open and just let the light in. Clean everything. But you can't because it's dark and there are demons. And if anyone saw how ugly it is, and then he just stopped speaking. And later on in the film, he says, I'm lost. I'm going to be stuck in this basement alone in the dark. So as we're moving along here, I'm going to suggest to you that all of us have things that we lock in the basement of our own lines, things which we are rightly ashamed of, things which are not right, which point to our guilt, not before men and women, but before God. And the parable shows there's two ways a person can deal with their guilt. And the really interesting thing is how the really, really moral person, how he could have gotten it so wrong. Because Jesus just turns the whole thing upside down here. I mean, if you think about church, a lot of times, if you don't know anything about church, and sometimes this actually happens in church, regrettably, so people go, okay, this is what you do as a Christian. I, I go to church, and, and I do good stuff, and I go to church, and I get the weekly to-do list. It's called the sermon. So I get a few self-improvement tips, and off I go. I come back the next week. I get an updated list, another sermon, and off we go again. Maybe that's your experience. And if that is, I'm really, really sorry. And do you see there, as you look at that little scripture, the list of good deeds? I mean, that is an impressive list. I mean, you would think that God would be bound to be pleased with this guy. I mean, look what he's doing. Verse 11, just, he starts out okay. I thank you, God. That's a good start. And then it goes south from there, right? I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Listen to all the eyes. I am not a robber. I never do evil. Really? I only kiss my wife. I fast twice a week and only once a year was the requirement for the Jew at that time. I have my money deducted every paycheck to give to God. Therefore, and then he says that brutal line, therefore I am not like this tax collector. When I read that, you know what I thought of? You know who Toby Keith is? The country guy, he has a song from a few years ago. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one. Oh my, me, my. What I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I'd see. And of course, here... What I do. And you see, that's the quintessential religious person. They love to talk about themselves. They love to talk about what they're planning to do and what others are not doing. And therefore, they love to judge other people. That's dead religion. That is not Christianity. So the question is, why is his performance, this man, actually getting the way of his relationship with God? Because the moral man will not go home right with God. And at that point in the story, he's headed to hell. 
And the key there, verse 9, that's the key to the question to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. And the question is, why will religion, trying to be good, trying to be really, really good, why will that always take me to hell and never make me right with God? Jesus gives two main reasons. Here's the first one. The first one is false confidence. All his confidence is in his list. It's an impressive list. But that list gave him a false confidence, so much so that he thought he was different. Different than everyone else and beyond the need of God's plan to save the world. And this Pharisee who has not escaped God's judgment is at the temple thinking that he's going to receive God's blessing. Right? That's how it works. I scratch God's back, then he's obligated to scratch my back. Making all the good deeds that this fellow did all about him. So you see this man is incredibly selfish. It's all about his performance. He's hiding his true feelings. And he leads with himself on everything, including his prayer, if you can call what he said, a prayer. And if you think about it, what a pain this guy must have been. What a pain this guy must have been to been around, right? So Samuel Butler wrote a, wrote a little thing about two very selfish people named Mr. and Mrs. Carlisle. And this is what he said. How good of God to make Mr. and Mrs. Carlisle marry each other. And so make two people miserable instead of four. <laughs> So, so, so here's the issue. As he stands before the God who made him and the God who keeps him alive, he's actually saying, God, you're very fortunate to have me. I'm doing everything right. I don't really need any help. I earn, I've earned my way to you. It's everybody else. It's everybody else. Number one, false confidence. Number two, false comparison. So, so this man is exalting himself, verse 14, and he's so puffed up with spiritual ply, pride that... He finds it really, really easy to judge other people, namely the tax collector, in his prayer, right in front of God, a mere man. I mean, no one should talk about another person behind their back. But to say that in front of God, I mean, who does he think he is? And of course, he's not really thinking. He's really stuck on himself. He has no self-awareness at all. Because if he knew his Bible, he would know that God is merciful towards sinners like me. And sinners are God's friends. Remember the, the word on the street about Jesus, that he was a friend of sinners? And it always got him in trouble. He's a friend to sinners. So you know I told you you've been reading through Romans and working through it verse by verse on Sunday morning. Listen to what Romans 2 says about this kind of thing. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else... For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on other human beings and yet you do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? That's the Pharisee. And the other man, it's so simple, right? He has no false confidence. He has no false comparison, but he just repents. He just repents. He beats his breast. That's a sign of contrition. And this is what he says. Have mercy on me, God. And the word mercy there is the Greek word, and don't be alarmed, it's the word propitiation. And that word is so beautiful to me because this is what propitiation means. It means Jesus Christ went to the cross to satisfy God's wrath and his judgment on sin by his suffering and death on the cross for us. Which is the only way the Bible says a person can ever be right with God. If there is no cross, if there's no Jesus, there's no hope for anyone. 
So the man was saying this, and please listen carefully. This is what he was saying. God, please pay my debt of sin because I can't. Now, like if you're self-aware and you're a sinner, like me, (laughs) that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's what I need. And I want to leave you this with this tonight. In light of what we've learned this evening, maybe the best way to understand this parable, which is a picture of the gospel, is if we understand it like a marriage. Now, I want you to listen. So, think just for a second. There was a perfect, kind, tender, loving, and wealthy king. And that king represents Jesus. And then there was this poor girl. In fact, she's a prostitute. And that represents me and you. Now, now please listen. If we can't put ourselves in the story, in that place, then we can't be Christians. We can't be right with God. That was the problem with the Pharisee. He couldn't put himself in that part of the story. And so there's nothing this girl can do to make herself a queen. She's in dire straits. But the king, in his love, he courts her, he pursues her, he woos her, and then he wins her. And she gets to say on her wedding day, all that I am, I give to you. And all that I have, I share with you. So what does she share with her king? She shares her shame. She shares her sins, her secret sins. She shares her debt. But... The king is so wealthy and he's so kind that he takes it all in, all her shame and all her sin and all that debt and he pays for it. Not a problem. And then the king turns to her and says, my sweet love, all that I am I give to you and all that I have I share with you. And with those words, the poor girl is now the queen. And everything that the king has is hers. All that I have, I share with you. And that is the great marriage swap of the gospel. The joyful exchange. Our great lover, Jesus, has taken all the sin we'll ever commit. He bore it in his body on the cross. Drowned it in his blood. No condemnation from God. No accusation from God. No damnation. No separation from God. At all, forever and ever, world without end. And then he gives us his righteousness, all the blessedness, all his status before the Father. So the sinner can confidently say, let me say it like this. He can display their sin in the face of death and hell and judgmental people and say, okay, yeah, you're right. I've sinned. I get that. But Christ has not sinned. And I am his and he is mine forever and ever, world without end. And just as the girl was made queen, the Christian is declared are made righteous. So yeah, we're always going to be sinners. As long as we wear this flesh, that the Christian is united to Christ and the Christian has his perfection. Sinful in ourselves, but absolutely righteous, having the righteousness of Jesus. And that is how God, in fact, it's the only way that God makes sinful people like me, his children. We don't try and become clean. We are declared. We are made clean. Loved ones, Jesus is the only way to God. The cross of Jesus is the only way to be forgiven. Trying to be good will never be good enough. And one day everyone will be judged. So here's the thing. Let God judge you now. Feel your guilt. And in that, do what the tax collector did. Cry out for mercy. And I promise you, I promise you, you will have it. 
And I promise you, you'll go home right with God. And I promise you that you're going to learn that crying out for mercy is a way of life. Because conversion is going to have consequences. And one of the consequences is a life of repentance. Let me close with this. Someone once said, to be rooted is perhaps the most important and least recognized need of the human soul. You understand there's something that you lock yourself into. So lock yourself into Jesus. Keep your eye on the cross. Forgive aggressively for Jesus' sake. Remind yourself aggressively, if you're a Christian, that you are forgiven. And do not ever relate to God through your performance, what you're doing or not doing. Because grace means it's okay that we are not okay. That's why we need grace. So don't relate to God through your performance, but only the performance of Jesus Christ. He was the only perfect one. So don't try to play games. The external stuff is easy to fool people, but God sees right into the soul. That's the gospel. <laughs> that is good news. That's good news. I'm going to be around. If anybody wants to talk, I'd be happy to talk with you. And, and I know we've said this a few times, but one last time. If you don't have a place where you worship Jesus week by week, you are so welcome. You're so welcome to be here. Okay, let's pray, please. And, and thank you for your attention. To some people who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Father, what could we ever give to you in return for your great gift of your dear son? He's our peace. He's our salvation. He's our redeemer. He's our substitute. He's our righteousness. He stooped so low and died such a violent death to bear the penalty of our sin in his body. And he did it wonderfully. And so I ask God that by your spirit you would move in this room, whether now or later on, and that the seed of the gospel that was planted you would make grow. Thank you for a good night. And Father, may everyone in this room know your blessing. For Jesus' sake we ask this. Amen.